listener production. Okay, do a little intro, then we can discuss the immersive experience. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Oh, I've been waiting for this for weeks and weeks and weeks. You were the first person that I was like, could we possibly, do you think, maybe oh my God. get her on? And it's finally happened. <laughs> okay, Jacob, you know what's funny? I was actually offended that I wasn't asked when you started doing mm. guests. I was offended. I was like... I'm just wondering why I haven't been asked to do it, but it's okay. Like, I'll just accept and listen and I'll experience it through my car speakers. <laughs> but I say no to all interviews ever, mm. not because I'm a diva, because I'm just like, I can't be bothered and I'll always let the person down. Like, I'll always, like, forget about it. Mm. But this, last night I, like, couldn't sleep. I was, like, in bed. I said to Conrad, oh, my God, like, my legs, I'm, like, I'm so excited because I get two judges this tomorrow. It's my favourite podcast ever. I'm obsessed with it. So thanks for having me. It's our pleasure and thank you so much. The only reason there was that delay is because you were on your tour. I was, and, wasn't I? Yeah. So they oh, said, exciting let's yourself. wait until she's, you know, back on planet Earth and then we can figure what? out her schedule from there. Yeah. Okay, we should probably get the intro out of the yeah, way. Yeah, let's do it. Hello and welcome to Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party and while Rosie's been away we've been going through a roster of some really fabulous guests and this week we have longtime friend of the show someone we all got to know and love together back at the very beginning of just the gist we have the sinister and verbose <laughs> Abby Chatfield. <laughs> Hello, gorgeous. I'm so glad to be Welcome here. Welcome to Just the Gist. I um, Yeah, you guys are the, like, the only ones that were nice to me during, I mean, during Bachelor, really, because Rosie's... Were we? Yeah, like the, you guys and I think Bachelor of Arts, I think, a Bachelor of Hearts, I don't uh -huh. really know, but so I'd love to sing to you guys when uh -huh. I was crying, you know? Like, Someone <laughs> understands me. Rose, you understand? I mean, you didn't really understand me because you weren't watching, but I you would at watched, least... But based on her description, yeah. I was absolutely team Abby. Like... Yeah, so thank you to Rosie. Yes. Because Rosie gave some very flattering descriptions and was like, F off, everyone. <laughs> She's <laughs> been it. an Abby advocate from the very oh. beginning. And actually, Lindsay wanted to um, play a couple of clips of some of the times Rosie discussed your appearance oh. on The Bachelor. Oh, my God. So, Lindsay, if you want to go ahead and play whichever ones you'd like Abby to revisit because this is from is nearly three years perfume? ago. The vagina scent? You know how she was saying that I have vagina? Do you remember this? Oh, the the minge. Minge. Her, minge. Your powerful minge. My powerful or minge. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's do it. Um, this one's from episode three of the podcast. They're all inside the cocktail party, still, still bitching about Abby cashing him and um, I feel really sorry for her, actually, because they're kind of really bullying her at this stage. Like, yes, she's mm. playing a pretty calculated game, but mm. they're all <laughs> more angry at her for telling Astro Bachi that Jessica Rabbit called him a dog C-word than they are at Jessica Rabbit for calling him a dog C-word. Like, yeah. the general consensus amongst all the girls is, like, whether or not, like, it was a joke, like, like... Abby just should not have revealed that to him. Like, there's a girl code and she broke the girl code. <laughs> and it's like, I would have told him if the hottest girl with the best boobs who you are in competition with calls him a C word, mm. you go and tell him. So he'll kick her out. Like, what? it's just the smart move. So I... 
I don't. But I feel she sorry. also gets what good TV is, so she knew exactly. that yeah, she knew well, it was going to be like great content. Yes, for yes. And I just, I mean, they're all like giggling and like snickering at her behind her back and being really mean, and it just kind of reminded me of boarding school. Like it was just so horrible. And she's there's just lots of shots of her looking like, oh no, everyone hates me, and everyone else being like, what a bitch. Um. Yeah, that was really cooked. Um, no, it was really <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. At one point, the makeup artist gathered the girls in the room and said, "Stop bullying her." Like it was, it really? was that level of like, it was like, it wasn't even just like, haha, on on air. It looks, it looked better on air. The makeup artist literally gathered them around and stood in front of me like a protective mama bear and was like, "You are bullying this poor girl. Leave her alone." But all I have to say is, I'm the only one who's still friends about Agnew. So, aha, uh-huh. and probably not day. in touch with any of those girls. No. Not no. Just no, no, not her. No, yeah, they were all very mad about it. What I think because they hated the dobber, but I love dobbing. I'm a dobber. <laughs> I'm a fucking dobber. I'm like, okay, don't do it then. I don't know you cunts. They literally. Sorry, I'm say the c word. Sorry, you can see for people. Sorry, but like, I've met you. I've been with you guys for two and a half weeks, and one of you is calling him a cunt. like c word. Sorry, we can beep it out. A c word. Um, like I'm gonna tell him, like, babes, you did it. Sorry about it, and. You know, now I'm on Masked Singer. So I guess I do know TV. Yes. <laughs> At the time I was like, I was like, I don't understand what makes good TV. I think deep down maybe I did. You had instincts. I did. Yeah. I could feel it, yeah. And you put them to work. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, what do we got next? Uh, this one's from episode four. Uh, and then like this rando who I don't even know who she is. I don't recognise her. I don't care. But they, she walks out and all the girls literally do this slow turn to Abby and look at her like she had, like, jumped on that girl, slit her throat and, like, kicked her bleeding corpse out the yeah. door. Like, it was, like, Abby's fault that this random no one cares about is going oh. home. Yeah. And it's, like, at this point it's, like, Abby is to blame for AIDS and, like, <laughs> and what? Abby is the Quite one who puts all refugees on Nauru. Like, everything <laughs> wrong in the world is Abby's effing fault, okay? It was. And they cut to Persian Princess Sagand, who is furious mm. that her tactical synchronised sabotage didn't work out, and she goes, Abby can only fake it for so long. Her time will come. <laughs> when she's cast to judge the last singer. <laughs> and it's like, why are you so obsessed with her? Like, Sagand is literally obsessed with her. So, question... From what I've described to you, Wednesday and Thursday nights, episodes of Batchy. Uh huh. Who do you think is being a bitch? Nervous. Uh, a Persian princess. Yes. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they trying to make out like Abby is the villain? I don't understand. Um. Exactly. They, it was literally like I'd killed all of their mothers. Like it was like. They just hated me so, so much and I just couldn't do anything right. But, like, whatever. Did it feel like the producers were steering them towards that? I don't know. I mean, no. I thought that – so I thought my edit was going to be, like, oh, she cries every day. She just sucks. I cried every single day and I tried to leave so many times. Oh. Not that they wouldn't let me, but they were like, no, stay. And then I'd be mm. like, oh, I really like Matt. So, like, not in a coercive way but just in a – well, I guess it was coercive looking back because they are producers. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it didn't feel – it, I didn't. I guess they were trying to sway them that way, but at the time, I just kind of at that point, I started hanging out with crew more than I hung out with the actual girls. So uh-huh. we had like minders. So I spent my days with the with the minders and the mm-hmm. makeup artists. And I at lunch, I'd go and sit with you know 
the sound guy. So like I'd mm. like like the kind of like bully girl at school that would sit by herself at lunch, but I'd sit with the crew, which ended up being better because they're all my actual friends still, rather than all the girls who have their little oh, fake friendships. Really? You know? yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was I don't even know like what I like what I really I'm still really confused at what I did to them. I've actually asked them and they one girl was like, you can call me. And I was like, no, I want it in writing. Like, I want to, like, post <laughs> like, my stories. <laughs> yeah, screenshot it. <laughs> yeah, I want to, like, and she's like, you can call me if you want to. I can explain what you did. And I'm like, well, obviously it's nothing bad. But they were pretty fucked. Like, they would, like, one time one of them yelled at me, you're a bitch, when I walked past her. One of them called me a cunt to my face. Um, one of them said, every action has a reaction. This is your reaction. When they were all gathered around me telling me I was a cunt. It was, like, full on. I would take sleeping pills to sleep all day. Oh. It was re- it was really bad. Yuck. <laughs> Turns out. Oh. Yeah. And then Matt protected me because Matt, I think Matt figured out what was going on because he's obviously very smart. Mm. And I think that's why Matt didn't listen to anything I said because he was like, I can see you guys bullying her. Mm-hmm. And he told me one time, because we're very good friends now, he was like, no, like there was this one instance where one of the girls had like chopped your bouquet. I don't know if you remember hearing about this, but we had like answer questions, like compatibility questions, classic bachelor. Mm. And they had to cut the bouquet and you had like four bouquets and once your bouquets were gone, you were out of the game, whatever. Uh And, so silly. And um, Matt was like, they were all attacking you and they thought that it would make me seem like a bitch, but it Mm. just made him be like, I feel so sorry for this poor girl. I'm going to keep her in for longer and you guys are going. Mm. So um, backfired. Yeah, because they showed their true colours. I know. And because I didn't really care about any of them, I was like, I mean, I just really like this guy and, like, I'm just going to stay because I really like him and mm. you guys are being so mean to me all the time. Mm. Just get me the fuck away from you all and I'll be okay. So thank God for the minders, really. Yes, mm. absolutely. Cheers to them. We love them. What's next, Lindsay? Uh, one more. This one's from episode seven. Stage five pube stealer Emma <laughs> says <laughs> that she it will be disastrous <laughs> if Abby ends up with him. <gasps> and then this is where I got really pissed off and got all feminist and sanctimonious <laughs> and you, stopped watching. Ellie goes, above all else, Matt deserves to know that she's just obsessed with sexual chemistry. She doesn't deserve to be here anymore. <laughs> like, what? What is wrong I want with sexual chemistry? Like, what is wrong with a woman being sexual? What is wrong with that? Well, and being confident in herself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just is very slut shamey and gross to me. Like, I'm pathetic at being sexual. Like, mm. I tweeted this last night. I said, you know, when I like a guy, I bump into things and fart out loud and screw it up. <laughs> and I look at Abby and her sexual skills and I think, God, I wish I have those. But I don't begrudge her for having them just because I don't. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. It's just really icky and gross to me. And just, and then, you know, I went and looked at the comments that were being thrown her way last night and they're actually really Horrific, mm. like the things mm. people are saying to her because of the way the show's been edited to make her out to be like the whore in this Madonna whore dynamic mm. is really mean. And she's twenty three. Yeah, I was twenty three. Were you the youngest? Yeah, I was the youngest, um, and I think I was the loudest. And I'd always also regularly tell them that they're. I mean, I'm quite left wing, so I would always tell them that like they were like saying things that were slightly racist or sexist Mm -hmm. or homophobic and I'd always like call them out for things. Mm -hmm. I even had a meeting with the EP one time for someone's them saying really problematic shit all the time. So that's also why they hated me because I would always also be like I'm the youngest and I had the most opinions and I'd be like, 
you guys are fucked up. You're all conservative. It's really weird. Like, why are you all right wing? It's fucking weird. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I was just the youngest. And I was, like, I guess, like, I was, I wanted to fuck Matt. You know why? I didn't have a vibrator in the house. <laughs> I fucking masturbated about kissing him. Like, <laughs> he couldn't fuck. He couldn't touch me. And, like, do you reckon Matt was there masturbating about us? Yes. Like, <laughs> like fuck, sorry that we wanted to root each other. Like, I'm so sorry, everyone, that I wanted to root someone. But, um, yeah, I love that, yeah, the way that Ellie would always frame it would be like, he he needs to know. It's like, he knows. He's getting humped by me mm. every time I see him. Like, he goes, he's aware. <laughs> aware. He's There's aware. no secret. He knows. Like, they, they were like, she's a different person around him. And I'm like, I, I'm really not. Mm. Like, I'm telling you all I want to fuck him. I'm telling Kim I want to fuck him. There's not really any, like, difference here. But, yeah, I was like, I was a child. It's fucking weird. It's weird a 23-year-old going through that. I bet. All the bullying and then the, getting off the show and being the villain. Yes. And then stepping forward from that platform mm. and then three years later, here we are, you have done so much and you are just so incredibly busy these days. Obviously, we don't have time to go through everything, but when you look back on the last three years, are there any like standout favourite memories or accomplishments that you're super proud of? Um, I feel like... God, I mean, as wanky as it is, winning I'm a Celeb was quite crazy because mm. that was only 18 months after the show, maybe actually 14 months, and it was a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. So it was it, it was it wasn't just like, oh, I I did all the like Ninja Warrior where it's like you do the physical things and you're like, cool, I win. It was mm. like I got to the final and then I won because of voting from the public. Mm-hmm. So it was a turnaround from being like completely hated to being actually like Embraced. confirmation by data that people yeah. liked me. Um, obviously, Masked Singer, I think, is another another big thing. But, yeah, there's just there's just so much. Um, the radio show, I mean, God, it's 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 very um, it's very surreal. And listening back to that, it feels like yesterday listening to that and being like, yes, it's a Madonna Hall complex, mm. yes. And I feel like I was already so into, like, feminism and I already had this conversation with my friends watching The Bachelor, you know, before the mm. show, it's like... I know it's like the wrong person got put into that role. Maybe the right person. I don't know for ten, but it was like I already had the tools of how to deconstruct the edit rather than being mm-hmm. like I'm not a slut. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, I want to root, grow up. Yep. And then I bought a house with vibrator money. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> thank One you. One of what four houses you've got? No, I have four houses. The portfolio. This is, this is fucking. This is a lie perpetuated by my co-host Rowan Edwards who on the radio show says I have 19 houses all the time. He's like, all right, mate, all right, your ninth house. I have I have a couple of mortgages. <laughs> and I will just say this year, the first time I got to meet Abby face-to-face was at a wedding where mm. she was purchasing a property over the phone just before the ceremony started. Well, actually, as um, the bride was walking down the aisle, I was docu-signing my offer. And I said afterwards, I was like, I'm so sorry. I hadn't met her before as Conrad's friends and I hadn't met the bride before. And I was like, I'm so sorry if I was on my phone during your ceremony, but I was just buying a house. <laughs> so I'm so sorry. But we got it. I live in it now. It's great. Huzzah. Yeah. Congrats. Um, all right, let's just unpack some of those things you mentioned. Yeah. And because it's the first one you brought up, The Masked Singer, mm-hmm. what's your role going to be? Because I've never seen the show. Mm-hmm. So you know how I have to guess names, basically, of who it is. Oh. So I have to digest the clues. And, you know, that can come in what they're wearing. They get a little clue package mm-hmm. um, that we watched before. We also, you know, in their performances, maybe in the song they're singing, there's all different clues and you've got to figure out who it is behind the mask. And I've been told there are some huge names this time. 
and to mm. not think any guess is too big. Although Husey guessed Barack Obama one time and I was like, I think that... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think that... <laughs> That's a pretty distinctive voice. That's a big swing. And I was like, Husey, I feel like maybe... Because he's like, yeah, anything you want, I'll guess anything you want. And I was like, I feel like the Obama thing might have been like a bit like wrong, um, but I'm going to just, yeah, I'm going to just guess whoever. But I'm really bad with names. Ah. Like, genu- like people that I meet, like if I've worked with them five or six times, not I would try to remember. I go, okay, you know, Lachlan, 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 mm. and then I forget it. I think it's an ADHD thing. So I'm scared about names because I'm going to go that that girl from Offspring. You know, I'm going to go that girl that was in that episode and she wore that green top. Because I'm mm. a very visual person, so I'm nervous about that. But I think it'll be super fun. Like it's just going to be chaos, mm-hmm. absolute chaos. While we're talking about TV as mm. well, you also have a new project that's launching next week. By the time this comes out next Friday, people will have already had the chance to watch the show oh on God. Monday. Yep. So can you tell us anything at all about yes. your new pilot project? Okay, so my pilot. Um, so we filmed this at the end of last year mm-hmm. and it's my concept. It's like I am, I think I'm like an EP, but like not really. I had a lot of help, but like mm. I'm listed as like a producer um, and like it's my IP, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, it's called Abby Chats. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that actually. You know how I appreciate a pun. I think that's brilliant. I love it as well. <laughs> so it's all your IP except for the name. Got it? Yeah, I love. I love the name. I think it's a great name. Anyway, um, it's called Ivy Chats. You can look it up on Ten Play. But no, I'm very, I'm very excited. It's basically um, if this is to be uh, commissioned, because what happens is I forgot people don't understand what like Pilot Week is, mm-hmm. and not in a wanky way. Like, oh, you don't know. It's like I like when you work on something for so long, you forget it. It's like, oh, fuck, mm. I need to explain what that is. Basically, there's six pilots and the network are trying to choose which new shows to commission. Mm-hmm. So uh, my idea, if it does get commissioned, is uh, basically all these different episodes um, about different topics, but there's two elements of that topic uh, kind of shown. It's kind of like Louis Theroux, Wife Swap, Vibe. It's not as, uh-huh. you know, serious as Louis Theroux, mm-hmm. but it is still about serious topics such as um, the first one is sex because, oh, I'm the sex girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, she's so sexual. Uh, <laughs> but they're all in the group chats very angry about it. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I went to watch a porn um, being filmed. Uh-huh. A porn uh, was a movie. Shoot. A porn film. Yes, a shoot. I went to a shoot. <laughs> Almost got squirted on. It was. <laughs> and I a man or a woman? Um, oh, I'm a woman. A woman. Oh, oh. And because she said, and my, so there was an all female crew, right? Except for my gorgeous director, Damien, who was like Girl Dad 101. Mm. And and I, he was like, I just, I, I feel so uncomfortable looking at, you know, these women having sex. It's like, it's my job to look at this. But then I think, oh God, I just don't want to make them uncomfortable. And mm. like, you know, he's just such, he's such an angel. But they were like, look, stand back a bit because um, Kat, who's one of the performers, squirts. Um, really far. Front <laughs> three rows make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and well, and, she, and they're like, okay, like, and also when once she squirts, don't move because you could slip. Right? <gasps> <it's>, so, so, <laughs> so, so, so we're all there. Carrying your protective goggles. Yeah, literally, literally. And we're standing there, and now they're like, look, we think you should put further back. And I was like, oh, but for framing, like, I kind of have to be, you know. So for framing, I kind of had to be in a certain spot. And she squirted. I kid you not, she squirted two and a half metres. I swear 
to, I'm not, I, I will show you a photo after this recording of the distance because it's a photo of me going with my face like, Ugh. and I'm obviously a very like comfortable with sexuality yeah. person and Damien was like, it's just so funny seeing you like uncomfortable <laughs> because I was like, and also there were always moments of me sitting there being like, I'm at work. Like we're, like we're sitting here. <laughs> it was very funny. So that's that's one element of it. Um, there also was a bit that didn't make it into the show, I think, because it was a bit much. Mm. Um, but uh, the, the, uh, the squirting, I guess, wasn't too much. Um, but there was a man, because we were in like someone's apartment, mm. in um, one of the porn stars' um, apartments, and there was a man in the building behind with this chalky milk in his robe watching the the porn being filmed. Oh. And one of the um, porn stars, Charlotte, and I was like, what are you doing? Like, scrit naked out, out, out the door being like, oi! It was fucking hilarious. So that's one element of it. And the- <laughs> Sold. Oh, it was amazing. And then the other element is um, people who are asexual because mm-hmm. I feel like um, it isn't a part of the LGBT community that is really spoken about very mm-hmm. much. So I had, the, the concept is like I have questions. So I had questions about mm-hmm. asexuality, like do you masturbate, you know, um, do you, uh, there is aromantic but bisexual, mm-hmm. you can be um, uh, biromantic, asexual. Mm-hmm. And we had a picnic. I, I went and met one um, person who was asexual who was in a relationship and we had a picnic with uh, five people who were ace mm-hmm. who had all different experience of it. One of them had a kid, mm-hmm. one, um, a couple of them in relationships, one of them never you know, had any desire for any of that. So that was kind of the other end. That was really interesting because you, I kind of went into it thinking like, you know, like being asexual, like it's just an absence of something. But it actually does cause people a lot of um, internalised confusion and trauma Mm. when the whole world is, you know, Mm sexualising music, books, uh, movies. Everything is about romantic love or sexual love really. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was the other aspect of it. So we kind of go in between the two and then, yeah, so it's porn and asexuality. Uh-huh. Great <laughs> concept for a pilot. Like, yes, I mean. That is going to hook people in, <laughs> guaranteed. All our listeners are going to go and watch that. And also, just for anyone who might have missed it, could you tell us about your podcast, It's oh, a yeah. Lot? It's a lot. I mean, it's definitely a lot. Um, it is, I started it, God, COVID lockdown one, 2020. Um, and it's just me talking shit Mm. This is the thing. People ask me, I actually had this dickhead one time at this party. I was seeing this guy and he was very private school, very like all his friends were very like mm. Navy Blazers and Aaron Williams. <laughs> and that's like kind of who my friends were in Brisbane. But now that I'm in Sydney, I'm like I avoided it at all costs because Sydney is like whole other level of, mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And we're at this party and this guy was like, oh, what do you do for work? Because straight men have no idea who I am. Like, <laughs> like, like no clue. I'm like, Abby. And they're like, I'm like, I'll be checking that. What are you doing? I'm like, I work in media. And they're like, oh, like your crew, like you, like a sound person. And I'm like, I don't get offended. I'm like, no. And sometimes I go, yeah. Mm. I go, yeah, I'm actually a camera person. I um, but no, this guy was like, well, I was like, oh, I have, I have a podcast because it's the easiest before radio. Now it's radio, thank fuck. Mm. But it was before I was like, oh, I have a podcast. Mm. Um, and he goes, that isn't a job. That's a hobby. Oh. And then, and then the guy that I was seeing was like, she literally earned double what you earn a year last quarter. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe figure out if it's a job or a hobby. Mm. But um, when people ask what it's about, then he goes, oh, what's it about? I'm like, um, I just kind of talk shit, mm. to be honest. You at least have a structure. You have like a clear, you have like a, 
a show DNA. Mm. Mine's just, can I be fucked to do research this week? Or do I want to just talk about my open relationship for 25 minutes? Mm-hmm. So it's chaotic. It's just me talking shit. So if you want to listen, you can. But, you know, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> You've definitely got a structure with the nightmare fuel episodes, though. Can you explain <gasps> that to everybody oh in my case God. they missed it? So nightmare fuels are cooked. Um, basically, it all started because this one girl DM'd me all these voice notes just being like, oh, my God, I need to tell someone this. Mm. And it was about this really awful first date. She went on in this pub in Surrey Hills and it was just really funny. And we were like, surely there are like endless stories like this. Mm. So we started doing an episode a week um, where people sent in their worst nightmare fuels, you know, everything from like life coaches gone wrong to a lot of bodily function issues, like a lot of mm. a lot of. Poo. And I was never someone that liked to make poo or I was I was very poo averse. Mm. And now I'm like a toddler's parent. I'm like, oh, poo, 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 poo. You know what I mean? Like I'm like <laughs> always talking about fucking shit. And, uh, yeah, it's just people's worst nightmares, like bad dates. We had at the live show we had people send in voice notes that we played over the audience. Mm-hmm. And that was the most fun part of the show because yeah. there was one girl, for example, who now her best friend got pregnant and she wouldn't say who the dad was, right? Uh-huh. So she's like, just tell me. She thought it was because, you know, it was she was sitting with a few guys and she's like, oh, she's embarrassed, but like she should just tell me. Like she's with one loser and she's like, it must be him, but like it's okay, I'll accept you, whatever. Mm. She's the godmother. They have the baby. She's the godmother, the best friend. Um, comes out. She's actually pregnant. The kid is her Dad's child. Oh, oh. The best, so her best friend, so her dad got her best no. friend pregnant. Oh. And they found out because their friends saw them together at a club in Brisbane. Ew. Right? So that's the kind of things you can expect. <laughs> <laughs> Other ones like people getting mad that someone kissed someone in Shrek prosthetics, they broke up. Like, this <laughs> just. <laughs> it's just like people that follow me have the most cooked stories. And they don't think they're cooked because it's their life, right? So I'll send voices like, yeah. And then this happened. And, like, I don't know if this is interesting enough. And it's like, yeah, babe. That's pretty, pretty cooked. So that's Nightmare Fuels. I think they're my favourite part of the week. Oh, yeah. Really great conversation Mm, starters. mm, Absolutely. mm. Yeah. For sure. So, is that all? Well done. You oh, got fuck. through that. Thank you so much. God. All right, we're done. All right, just just <laughs> Abby's career. <laughs> Everyone's up to speed now in case you missed any of that, but really and truly, congratulations. It's Thank been amazing you. to watch all That's the, the things you podcast. You've- Thank you. Oh We've been having a lot of fun. And I tell you what, we cannot wait to get back out there and finish off the tour. No, WA? Yes, we'll be heading back over to WA mm. um, and then the Queensland shows, Sydney shows, Melbourne shows that it had to be rescheduled yeah. um, from the end of August. We'll be back out there. And I can't say can I what. Absolutely. Fun. You can come to all of them. Yeah. You can just be part of our entourage oh, yes. if you like. Yeah. I'll bring out water for you guys halfway through. I'll wear blacks. And then just have a seat on the stage yeah. with us and, yeah, <laughs> we'll ask you about more of the projects yeah. you've taken on. Um, yeah, we've added a new element that we we can't tell anyone about it yet. But um, yeah, Malibu Stacy's got a new hat. So <gasps> oh God, even if you so saw the shows last time around, we're elevating them oh for this God. time around. That's a tease. Mm. That's such a hook. Well done. Yeah. All right. Should we get into mm-hmm. the story? Would you like to hear a little tale about an oppressive regime of religious extremists whose stupid laws ruined lives and killed people. So the US? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Supreme Court? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Look, along those lines, yeah. it felt right to do this story <laughs> given the context we're in right now. Yeah. 
um, because, yeah, there are quite a few parallels between what happened way back when and what's happening right now with, yeah, religious zealots taking control and repressing people Mm -hmm. and creating this culture of paranoid fear that then can potentially lead to really extreme and unpredictable and unfortunate outcomes. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. I'm excited. So 330 years ago, in a small village, more than 200 people were accused of being witches. And of course, most of those people were female. 20 of those people were executed. And then we find ourselves three centuries later still scratching our heads and going, why and how and what the fuck happened? Wait, only 20? Only 20 in Salem. Yes, this is just the gist of the Salem witch trials. And I was going to start by asking, so what do you know or think you know about the Salem witch trials? Well, I think my information about this is just the crucible, Mm -hmm. um, which is like accurate, question mark. We'll talk about it. We'll get to it. Stress emphasis on the question mark. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was always Abigail in the readings because it made sense. Mm -hmm. Ha ha. Um, And... But see, the crucible was also about the McCarthy era, wasn't it? Yes. So it was more a commentary rather than a historical. That's right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's also what I know. But honestly, not much. It's like burning at stakes. Goody Proctor was a witch. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. They wore silly hats. Like that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Tick, correct on the hats. <laughs> Tick, correct, there was a Goody Proctor and she was convicted as a witch. A real one. Yes. <gasps> but uh, a cross on the burning at the stake. They only burned witches at the stake in Europe, never in the US. All the witches who were executed in the Salem witch trials were Drowned? hanged. Oh, hanged? Yes. Mm. Wow. The only thing I know is, is, the, is the swimming thing. How yeah. if you float, you are a witch. If you drown, you aren't. That's right. Because it's the irony of it. Well, you're killing them anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was one of the tests they'd put suspected witches through, again, mostly women. Mm-hmm. So it was thought that because water was so pure and it was used in baptism, if you had been touched by Satan and were an evil spirit, then when they threw you in the water with your hands and legs tied, you would float on the surface because you were being repelled by the water. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you sank, then that indicated that you were a good, true, proper Christian In the best case scenarios, they'd set up a system that once the person sank, they would be able to pull them out of the water. But in a lot of cases, they were a bit too slow on that. And not a lot of people were great swimmers back then. They weren't really used to holding their breath underwater. So a lot of lives were lost in that testing process. But that didn't happen in Salem either. That did happen in other places in the US, like Connecticut and upstate New York, but it didn't happen here in Salem. Oh, my God. Well, tell me all about it. I'm learning so much already. Let's go. Oh, my God. The preconceptions are all wrong. Mm-hmm. Setting the record straight, mm. hopefully. <laughs> like I feel like this is the most gistified gist of all gist because oh this God. is a big, messy story, but I've tried to condense mm-hmm. it down as mm-hmm. best possible. So things kick off in early January of 1692 and Salem Village was part of the colony of Massachusetts. So the mm. United States of America didn't exist yet okay, at that yes. time. They weren't a country. They were part of the British Empire. And Salem Village was up in the northern coastal area part of America where they Mm -hmm. get really hideous winters every single year. But they had just been in a string of some particularly bad winters in the previous few years. 
The whole saga started because these two very young girls started demonstrating some super odd behaviours oh, that they God were struggling to find an explanation for. I'm just going to sniffle. <sighs> Sorry. No. The fucking mucus on my head right now. I bet. It's out of control. Mm. They're clearing it out. I had oh, um, COVID a few worse. weeks ago. Oh. And same thing. And sometimes I'd just be caught off guard by like one single cough that would have like a chicken nugget sized lump. <laughs> I have told everyone this and no one believes me and you'd cough and I I was like, Conrad, yeah. come in here. And he was like, babe, please let me see it again. Yeah. I'm like, look, fuck, so bad. I totally get what you mean. You're like a little kid who's proud of a poo they did in the yes. toilet and they want someone to come and see it. You're like, look, look what I made. What disgusting this is. Feral. God. <gasps> disgusting. We are foul. Oh my God. All right. So these two girls, their names were Abigail. She was 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Betty, she was nine. Mm-hmm. And they were cousins. They lived together with Betty's parents and Betty's siblings. And they started having these weird episodes that first off were being described as fits because mm-hmm. the first doctor who came to see them said he thought it was likely the girls had developed epilepsy, which they knew about back then. Did they? They did. Oh. Yes. Uh, but then the episodes kept escalating and it became obvious this is probably not just standard epilepsy because the girls were like contorting into really bizarre positions and barking like dogs and they started shrieking and shouting out in gibberish and then they'd randomly start throwing things around the room, which like this was not the sort of behaviour that they were used to from these girls. This was yeah. coming out of nowhere and was pretty disconcerting and By mid-February, things were still getting worse and the only explanation the doctor could come up with that made any sense to him was that the girls were being afflicted by some sort of evil supernatural force. And so they started talking to the girls about how that might be a possibility and they admitted they had been dabbling in some cheeky but totally harmless witchcraft practices. They were trying to play some fortune-telling games, Mm. one of which was called the Venus glass. They'd take an egg white and they'd tip it into a glass of water and then you look into the egg white and whatever shape you saw was telling you what the occupation of your future husband was going to be. okay. They were just playing around like we all did. Did you do that sort of stuff as a kid? And like light as a feather, stiff as a board stuff and like... You have Ouija like boards. Ouija boards and all that silly stuff. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a bit of a witchcraft phase? Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rosie yeah. and I have spoken about our embarrassing phases. Yeah. In the past. Yeah, I had a little coven. It was. You had a coven. Okay, I didn't have a coven. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Honestly, Goody Jacob. Makes me shudder oh when God, I think what of was the your spells coven? and incantations we did. Oh, like 16, 17. You know, very much inspired by the craft. Oh my God. Like Wait, how old were you? 16, was 17. Even... High school. Yeah. And, wait, you were 17 years old doing this? Yeah. I was like seven. (laughs) (laughs) I do have 10 years on you. So we were going through the phase at the same time, just in different places. And we're connected. (gasps) It's all coming together. Oh, my God. Wait, okay, and then would your cover have a name? Oh, no. I mean, we should have probably come up with something. Get creative, Jacob. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And what sort of – see, we used to make concoctions, mm-hmm. um, but it was just like shampoo and conditioner together. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My sister and I, mum be like, oh, have you got any good concoctions, darling? Mum's a year one teacher. 
Like, oh, look at your concoctions. Ooh. Oh. What were your concoctions? Oh, we bought the like the dragon's blood to mix in <laughs> with the frankincense and grind it all up and then burn it and send off incantations to go with the like it was Rosie took it to the extreme though, where they were like cutting their fingers and sharing blood with each other. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So yeah, I think I was like six years old, and I think we were just yeah, shampoo and conditioner was it. <laughs> Maybe dishwashing liquid as well. Well, very creative. I know. And you know, you would have elevated, I'm sure, had you kept going on that path. Yeah, if only. Yeah. Maybe I'll start up again. <laughs> the coven. Never too late. Oh my god. Mm. So anyway, when the girls told the grown-ups about this little practice they'd been doing, they said that one of the girls had seen the egg white morph into the shape of a coffin and that instantly suggested to the adults that that girl might somehow be connected to death and she might somehow be cursed, which then made them very worried that maybe the girls had somehow invited Satan into their Wait, sorry, so she, she reported that she saw a coffin? Yep. She Babe, you've egg, really right? messed up for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. It all begins with these girls. Because they want to be different mm-hmm. and they want to be interesting and they want to have their coven and they want to be like, oh, I saw a coffin. Mm. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, <laughs> Keep kids. it to yourself, dolls. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so from there, the grown-ups jumped to the conclusion there must be witches or other agents of the devil somewhere there in Salem Village tormenting these girls and causing the fits and the outbursts. And because the Bible says, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, it became their top priority to find and kill the witch or witches. Wait, the Bible says that? The Bible says that, The word yes. witch? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. From the original Hebrew, that's the translation that's become most famous. And wow. these guys were Bible fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. Like, it was their belief you had to follow everything to the letter. So a direct commandment like that, you must not let witches live, was something they felt very strongly oh, they needed to adhere to. And witchcraft really was taken very, very seriously back then. And throughout the 1400s and 1500s particularly, there were heaps of witch hunts, mostly throughout Europe. Tens of thousands of people were accused of being tools of the devil and they were brutally tortured and executed, most frequently women and very frequently by burning them at the stake. Mm-hmm. By the late 1600s, the European countries were kind of getting a bit over the witch mm-hmm. hunt Boring. craze. But now it was the American colonies' turn to sort of take over and become the capital of witch hunts. It's and like then the fashion, they're always a bit behind, yeah. you know? America's always <laughs> took a, a couple bit. of centuries, but yeah. they caught up. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, 1692, Salem was just the perfect spot for a moral panic and a witch hunt to break out. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a bit of context. There was Salem Town that was quite big and rich, and then there was Salem Village, which was mm-hmm. little and poor. And most of the people we're going to meet in this story were from Salem Village. Almost all of them were Puritans. And Puritans, you probably remember from mm-hmm. studying the Crucible, they were very strict Protestant Catholic sect. They had a very tight set of rules for men and an even more restrictive set of rules for women and for girls, super oppressive. They basically dictated no one was ever allowed to have any fun ever, Mm -hmm. no dancing, no music unless it was a hymn. And if they didn't follow the rules, they'd miss out on one of the limited spots available in heaven. Mm -hmm. It was one of those belief systems where they said there's a finite number of places in paradise 
And you're basically in a competition with everyone else on the planet to be the most virtuous and pious to get yourself a spot in heaven. So that created a very sort of gossipy society where everyone was super interested in spreading news about other Mm. people's transgressions, make sure everyone else was aware of some of the sinful things other people had done. And they would then hope that that would sort of lift up their own kind of public persona as being someone who was a good person, good husband, good wife. Uh, They absolutely believed the devil was out to get them because he was a big meanie who wanted to ruin their chances Mm -hmm. of getting into heaven. And they believed that Satan mostly targeted women because they were so helpless and so weak. They couldn't defend themselves. That makes sense. Yeah. And women were brainwashed from the time they were girls that they were super vulnerable and they had to rely completely on men to protect them. And in return, they were expected to always be totally subservient to the men as a way of showing their immense gratitude. Mm -hmm. And in the couple of years leading up to the witch trials, things were particularly tense because there was a new Puritan reverend in the village who was Mm -hmm. like making things even more sort of grim and bleak. Mm -hmm. His name was Reverend Samuel Paris, and he was extra strict and extra dogmatic with the congregation. His sermons were mega preachy and just a punish Mm -hmm. to sit through. His approach was you were either a saint or you were a devil, and there was no space in between to be anything else. And he was also known for being really greedy and entitled and demanding. He got into loads of disputes with all the locals, so no one liked him. He was just a massive piece of shit. We know he beat his slaves and we assume he also abused his family as well. And that family included his niece Abigail and his daughter Betty, the first two girls who'd been afflicted by these symptoms. Yes. Right. They have the dickhead. Mm -hmm. They're living under his roof, hearing his sermons 24-7, hearing him go on and on about the devil and witchcraft, and then they end up being the ones who, it seems like, maybe sort of cracked under pressure and started acting out with these strange fits they'd been exhibiting. Wow, okay. So news about the pastor's family being attacked by witches spread around the village very quickly and people started then connecting the dots between that bewitching that was going on and all the bad things that had been happening to the village Mm -hmm. recently because they'd had a tough few years in addition to this terrible reverend and the bad winters. They'd had quite a few Native American tribes ambushing Mm -hmm. the village and killing people or kidnapping people. Their harvests were pretty poor, so a lot of people were going hungry. They had a smallpox outbreak and they thought, okay, this must be God punishing us for not having hunted down and killed the witches like the Bible tells us we have to. Mm -hmm. So it was clear to them what they needed to do to make things right and get life back to normal. Everyone went on to high alert, looking out for any suspicious activity that might indicate the presence of witches. And then... Pretty soon after that, more young girls started exhibiting those same weird behaviours that Abigail and Betty had shown, the barking Mm -hmm. and the writhing and the shrieking. Mm -hmm. All the girls who were afflicted were questioned for a few weeks because they were obviously trying to get some clues Mm -hmm. so that they could find the witches, hunt them down and stop them. And then finally, by the end of February, the girls decided it was time for them to reveal the identities of the women they said 
were visiting them at night in spectre form, like the women weren't physically there in the girls' bedrooms, but they were sending their spirits, only the girls could see them and only the girls could feel the torture that these women were inflicting on them. The three women they accused were Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne and the Paris family's own slave, Tichuba. Oh, yeah, Tichuba. She was a character in The Crucible as well. This makes you think, you know, maybe iPad kids aren't as bad as we think, you know? Like they're all a bit bored and they've Mm. decided to witch hunt for no reason. Give them something to do. (laughs) Entertain the (laughs) children. Give give them an iPad, Mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Jesus Christ, <laughs> causing a bit of trouble. Keep them amused, otherwise yeah. they can get up to this sort of crap. Uh, so let's talk about these three accused women. First off, Tichuba. Reverend Paris had bought her when he was living in Barbados. I know you're shaking Poor your Tichuba. head. It's just so gross. It's so awful. Mm. Mm. Idiot. She had a really tough life. We think she was part native South American, probably from Guyana or mm. Venezuela, and part African. She was about 30 years old. And she and her husband, who she'd been forced to marry, and her daughter were all the property of Reverend Paris, who'd made them all become devout Puritans, Mm. even though he was pretty open with them about his belief that there was no room in heaven for non-white people. He still forced them to Mm. worship. Yeah. It was very easy for the people in the village to accept that Tichuba would be a witch because she was a woman of colour, she was from a strange exotic location. Of course, she was a witch, so she was arrested yeah. immediately. Then there was Sarah Good. She was in her late 30s, and she'd grown up relatively well-off, verging on wealthy, but she ended up becoming financially ruined, thanks first to her stepfather and then to her first husband. So by this time, she and her second husband and her four-year-old daughter were all homeless, and they spent their time going from door to door every day, begging for money, begging for food, and asking if they could have shelter in people's barns Had her husband died? Her first husband died, and then then she remarried this guy, and they were destitute. Yeah. Everyone in Salem knew her to be pretty rude and belligerent and unpleasant. Mm. You know, she didn't act gracious when people would offer her charity. She also smoked a pipe all the time, which wasn't very ladylike, so that turned people off her. And also because she looked filthy, everyone assumed she must have smallpox and so they kept their distance from her as well. She was very much an outcast, never went to church for that reason, Mm -hmm. which was a big red flag. She's not going to church and she's not a very nice lady. She must be a witch. Let's arrest her and chuck her in jail too. And I should mention at this point she was six months pregnant at the time as well when they chucked her in prison. The third woman they accused was Sarah Osborne. She was 49 years old. She also didn't have a good reputation as a nice Puritan lady. After her first husband died, she'd caused a scandal by marrying one of her servants who was Irish. Have you heard? No. We think he might be a Catholic, and that was the one thing that Puritans couldn't stand. To be fair, how dare she? I know. And then she made things worse. Uh, She hadn't given her sons the inheritance they were supposed to get from their father when their father died. Instead, she had the audacity to keep the land for herself and live on it. So she was also treated as an outcast because she didn't follow one of the most important rules for a Puritan woman, which is be subservient to men and let them make the decisions oh, for you in your life. Oh, because they were men. That's and right. And she was meant to live with them on their land, mm-hmm. but she just wanted to keep 
Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this is so sad. Yeah. Uh, so she'd also been a bit of a recluse for the previous few years because she was very physically unwell. So she also hadn't been going to church, which helped make her another believable suspect of being a witch. So off she went to jail as well. So these three, they were the OG accused and they were probably the most obvious targets the girls could have picked out of everyone in the village of about 600 people. And the girls would absolutely have heard the grown-ups gossiping about Sarah Good yeah. and Sarah Osborne. They also saw Tichaba being beaten by yeah. the Reverend. Um, so they were sort of easy targets mm. to point the finger of blame at. So all three women, they were brought to jail straight away and then soon after they had to publicly take the stand for questioning and plead guilty or not guilty to these charges of witchcraft. Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne pled not guilty, but then Tichaba took the stand and she pled guilty and said all of the accusations were true and then added some more to the list. She confessed to being a witch, said she was working with the devil, They were torturing the girls as some sort of punishment and she described in very vivid detail how Satan had come to her and forced her to write her name in this special book of his using her own blood as a way of declaring her undying loyalty to him. She had all these really detailed descriptions of his black skin, his black clothes, his white hair, his pets he had with him and the different powers he had and that he used. And she also said she knew for a fact that Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne were working with the devil as well. Because she wanted to die? Genuinely? Was it because her life was so awful with this Mm. hideous man that she was like, I actually, this is my chance to get out? That's where my brain went as well, that she was like, this is an escape for me. I'm either going to go to prison or I'll be killed, but either way, I'm away from my terrible owner. And I guess the way they would have been taught would be that suicide is a sin. Mm -hmm. So do you think she was just like, you know what, this is my chance to just end this? So we find out a little bit later, they didn't know this yet. We find out after the trials are all complete that her owner, that hemorrhoid of a man, mm. the reverend. Hemorrhoid of a man, sorry. <laughs> no better way to describe no, him. No, The night before she took the stand, he went to the jail and he beat her and demanded that she confess and repent and he'd oh. essentially given her a script of exactly what to say. All these details had been fed to her by him because she was his property and he felt that it was going to look better for him if she acted contrite than if she acted defiant and tried to defend herself. So she was following his orders, which meant she not only implicated herself, but she was condemning Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne by saying they were definitely involved. And then she caused heaps more panic as well because she said there are a lot more witches in Salem than you even realise. I don't know all of their names, but the devil told me that there's quite a few of them out there, which then just caused, as you can imagine, mass paranoia. Everyone heard about Tichaba's confession and everyone now knew that there were potentially dozens, maybe even hundreds of witches in the town and in surrounding villages. And within days, more and more young girls started experiencing those symptoms at night and sometimes during the day and started accusing more and more people of sending their spectres to torment them. So people were being identified by name 
and they would be arrested pretty much straight away because these girls said that their spirits were coming in pinching and biting and poking them with knitting needles. Anyone who was accused was arrested, even if the accusation and arrest went completely against all common sense. Like, for example, Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter, Dorothy, she was accused of sending her spectre to bite a 17-year-old teenage girl. And so this four-year-old girl was put in chains and taken to jail (gasps) to wait for trial. And while she was behind bars, two of her accusers kept claiming that she was still coming to visit them in spectral form to torment them. So they'd prioritise questioning Dorothy. And according to the witch hunter who did question her, this four-year-old little darling told them that her mother had given her a talking pet snake as a pet and that snake drank her blood from a cut in her finger. And that was accepted as the second proper confession to witchcraft. And again, it just poured like a tank of fuel on the fire of paranoia all throughout the village because now this four-year-old innocent girl has been taken over by the devil. Then the age range kept expanding and now adults started claiming that they were experiencing the symptoms of affliction. It wasn't just girls and teenagers anymore who were accusing grown-ups. The grown-ups were accusing each other. And it sort of became a bit like a race. Like you needed to get in quick and make an accusation against someone else before someone made an accusation against you. Plus, looking back, it seems like a very convenient way to get rid of someone you don't like in the village because all you had to do was accuse them of coming and visiting you in spectral form and they'd be taken off to jail for at least the next few months and then they were doomed to stand trial. But even claiming to be a victim of a witch wasn't a permanent guarantee of protection against being accused yourself. Some folks went from making accusations to them being accused and arrested themselves. So it was like every week another few dozen people were being arrested and throughout March and April and May, all those people had to just wait in the overcrowded jails for a new governor of Massachusetts to be appointed so he could allow the establishment of a special like witchcraft court to try them all. And was there a law? Was there a witchcraft law already mm-hmm. enacted? Okay. Mm-hmm. It was classified as a crime against the church as well as a crime against the government right, to okay. participate in any sort of mm-hmm. witchcraft practices. But they didn't have a judicial system set up yet to take people through mm. a proper trial okay. process here. So that had to be established. There were so many people waiting for trial at this time that the jails had to borrow money from private citizens so they could buy more manacles, wrist and ankle chains. That's how many people were sitting around waiting, waiting, waiting for their day in court. And in that time, while the accused were waiting in these cold, mouldy jail cells, Sarah Osborne died. Sarah Good gave birth to a baby girl and named her Mercy. And Mercy died there in the jail cell where she was born because she couldn't get any form of medical care and obviously the conditions were terrible. By the time all this is over, another three people will have died in jail as well. So like we said, 20 people were executed, but then also five people died in jail just waiting for their trial to roll around. Wow. 
Finally, a new governor was appointed in late May, and in his first few days, someone briefed him, by the way, Satan's rampaging mm-hmm. around Salem Village. So in, they're in the process of hunting down his coven, and he was like, um, yeah, we should probably prioritise getting a special court set up so we can put these people on trial and give them their fair day in court. So the Court of Oyer and Termina was created. Oyer and Termina basically means to hear and determine. And it was specifically there to try only these cases of alleged witchcraft. There were, I think, gosh, my memory's terrible and I didn't write this down. It's either seven or 12 magistrates appointed to this court. And, of course, they were all men and not one of them had any form of legal qualification. What? Uh Uh-huh. They were just the most respected older men in town, so they were the ones chosen for the job. He wasn't actually, (laughs) but there were some other hemorrhoids on there. Oh, the other ones. Okay, cool. Because you get more than one, you know. Yeah, Mm, for sure. Human tumours. Mm. They were all advised by a couple of ministers not to allow spectral evidence to be used in the trials. So anyone's stories of someone's spirit visiting them or invisible hands hurting them, ministers told these magistrates you shouldn't accept that as evidence, but the magistrates ignored that suggestion and they allowed any and all of the wild ghost stories as testimony and acceptable evidence against someone. The first trial was for a 60-year-old woman named Bridget Bishop, and she was a very easy mark to go after first because she had five different accusers, and she'd already been accused a few years earlier of killing her husband using witchcraft. So the court clearly wanted an easy, guilty verdict for their first ever trial, and they got it. Bridget was sentenced to death by hanging Eight days after her trial started in early July, she was the first person executed for witchcraft in Salem. And the only evidence they had against her was spectral evidence. This testimony that came from these young accusers saying Bridget had come to them as a spirit and she tortured them and she tried to get them to sign Satan's book using their blood to declare their allegiance to him forever. Mm. I mean, isn't that... I know it's very obviously awful. Mm. Was there anything that could have been, I mean, obviously there were not guilty verdicts, but was there anything that was just a feeling from the magistrates from all the 7 to 12 hemorrhoids? Mm-hmm. Just a feeling like, I like that woman, so she's going to not, I don't like that woman. So he became a survivor. Yeah. Look, some of the things that ended up on the record that worked in Bridget Bishop's, um, well, not in her favour, the exact opposite of that, they didn't like the way she dressed. They didn't like the fact that she had started fights with people in public places throughout her time living in the village. So it almost feels like it's convenient to get rid of her Mm -hmm. from a cultural perspective. Yeah. Also in that particular case, there were family members from her first or second husband, I think she was up to number four by Mm -hmm. the time she was executed, that they wanted to um, get their hands on the property that she had once again kept oh. that they felt should have gone back to their side of the family right. when that husband had died. Mm. That's sort of a boring bit of trivia there, but with each individual there are usually some circumstances that give you an idea of why there were extra levels of motivation for why the magistrates would right. choose to condemn these people to death. But if you were like a God-fearing woman and you were very straight at 180, you probably weren't going to get... Well, that did happen as well. 
So yeah. what's the rhyme and reason, Jacob? I, the fear, <laughs> paranoia. Yeah. They truly believed that they were following the instructions in the Bible by executing these witches, most of whom, like I said, were female and were outcasts of society. Are the girls, <laughs> do we hear from the little girls again, Abigail and Betty? Okay. Yep. They'll pop back up in just a moment. Yeah. Come on, girls. First off, just quick ramification of that trial and execution of Bridget Bishop. It did raise a few eyebrows around the colony. So 12 more church ministers got in touch with those magistrates and said, hey, probably don't just rely on spectral evidence. We get it. You want to allow it in court, but don't only mm. rely on that. Try to balance it out with maybe some tangible proof in addition to the stories mm -hmm. that these kids are telling you. And the magistrate men were like, we think we know what we're doing, but thanks. In mid-July, another five women were tried, including Sarah Good, and the accusers started putting on quite a show in the courtroom at this point mm -hmm. during these trials. So while the defendants were testifying to their own innocence, the accusers would shriek and moan and faint and throw themselves on the courtroom floor and they'd claim they could see spectres there in the room of humans and imps and animals. Like, for example, during Sarah Good's trial, there was a moment where Tichaba was actually the one who said she could see the spectre of a yellow bird in Sarah Good's hand drinking her blood. And all the girls who'd accused Sarah said, yes, I can see it too. I can see it too. So it became this big dramatic scene and it was like the girls were sort of egging mm. each other on. The more outrageous their behaviour became, people would try to sort of one-up it a little bit. Do you think it's because women were listened to for the first time in their lives? Especially young women. And they they had never got any attention. They'd grown up yeah. in a community where they were told you will be seen but mm -hmm. you will not be heard and your value does not kick in until you're of marrying age yep. and that's and when that's you're going to your, be worth something. Attached to your, your partner's value, your male partner's mm -hmm. value. So do you think it was that they finally got attention, they finally got to be heard and have some sort of power? Mm -hmm. So of course they're going to eat it up. It was their moment. They got oh. the spotlight. And they oh, might have overdone it a little bit. Oh, you know what, girls? Yeah. Mm. Different ways to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not this time. You know what? You did what you could. We feel your frustration. Yeah, though. I understand. Mm. But maybe don't do this. Yeah. Of course, all those women were found guilty and they were all hanged soon after. Accused men. Accuse hemorrhoids. A few of them do well, end up getting Sorry, accused. Yeah, Only a few of them, but yeah, a few of them did. They should have banded together mm. and been like, you know what, we have a chance here to get rid of all the dickhead men who are abusing us and controlling us and were under the thumb. Mm -hmm. They should have had a strategy. Missed opportunity, Oh, girls. come on, girls. Yeah. We should go back in time and help them out. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends was saying to me the other day, because I was just sort mm -hmm. of vaguely describing this, and she reminded me, she's told me this before, her biggest fear, and she thinks about it at least once a day, is that she's going to be accidentally sent back in time and then she's going to end up being burnt at the stake because she just knows that she won't be able to control her behaviour and she won't be able to control her mouth and she's just going to end up being burnt. Oh my God, new fear unlocked. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's some nightmare fuel. Absolutely. Oh, my God, that's a really valid fear. Like at one day. So specific. In 1692, Salem. <laughs> Oh, shit. I'm here. Of course I'm here. I'm here to learn a lesson. Told everyone. <laughs> Finally and happened. And no one listened. Oh. So at the gallows, all these women were given one last chance to confess and they were all encouraged not to die as liars. And Sarah Good, love her, she basically said, look, eat shit. You are all the liars. And I'll tell you now, if you kill me, God will give you blood to drink. And just side note, 
25 years later, the man she said that to died of a hemorrhage that made him choke to death <gasps> on his own blood exactly 25 years later. Mm. So she was a witch. She was a witch Okay, all. she was a witch. Okay, yep. cool. So she deserved it. Okay. Well. <laughs> Had it coming. <laughs> uh, so the trials and executions continued for months. And one of the most notable things about the trials was that all the people who lied and made false confessions, which wasn't that many of them, mm-hmm. but all those people were allowed to live and be rehabilitated because they testified against other people they said were witches, whereas the ones who pled not guilty and tried to protect their good name were the ones who were sentenced to death. Wow, okay. Including Tichaba. So Tichaba ended up surviving because she'd confessed and she'd repented and she'd dobbed other people in. Her life was spared. Is this the start of the deal system in the US? You know how they have the kind of the beginning of it? The plea deal. Yeah, the plea deals. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Hundreds of books have been written that go into the details of every one of these trials. I'm just going to walk you through one of the most infamous ones, the trial of Giles and Martha Corey. Giles was an 81-year-old man and Martha was a 72-year-old woman. She was very, very pious. She attended church every single week. She prayed several times a day, but she didn't support the witch trials. Mm -hmm. And she openly accused the girls of telling lies to get other people in trouble. So, of course, the girls started accusing Martha of being a witch herself. She soon went to trial. The girls all testified against her. When Martha took the stand to try to defend herself, the girls did their usual moaning, fainting, eyes rolling in the back of their head type stunts while she was speaking. And they also added an extra element for her. They mirrored all of her hand gestures. So anytime she'd move, they would do the exact same movement. And so the court came to believe that she was like a puppeteer who was controlling all the girls. The girls also said they could see the spectre of the devil whispering in Martha's ear when she tried to defend herself again, that spectral bird drinking blood from her hand. And so that, in this court, was more than enough to get someone found guilty. And then because he tried to defend Martha, and I should have said eventually tried to defend Martha because at first he believed that she was a witch, her husband Giles ended up being accused of witchcraft when he finally did come to her defence. And his torture and execution is probably the most memorable of anyone's, and you might remember this Mm -hmm. from The Crucible. He refused to plead guilty or not guilty to the crimes of witchcraft, which meant at the time he couldn't go to trial. And so to encourage him to enter a plea because they really wanted him to go to trial, he was tortured using a method called pressing. So that meant strapping him down to the ground and then putting a big wooden plank on his torso and putting big boulders on top of that plank. And as the hours passed, putting more and more heavy stones, adding weight to the board. So as the weight would build up, it would gradually crush Giles's rib cage mm. and his pelvis. And they'd keep coming back to him. And by the way, this happened in public. So everyone in the village could see it going on. What, he's like sitting in the town square or something? That's right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they'd keep coming back to him over the course of the three days he was in that position. He's 81. 81, Yes. In the 1600s, like Jesus. Uh-huh. He'd had a bloody good. Oh my god! <laughs> well done, Charles. I mean, I'm 
absolutely stunned that he was so mm. resilient and was able to survive this much time mm. in this position because he wasn't being fed and they were only giving him a tiny, tiny bit of water. Plus he was being yeah. crushed to death. But whenever they'd mm. come to him and say, are you ready to plea? The only words he would say were more weight because this was his way of going, you know what, screw you. Even if I do plead not guilty, you're going to find me guilty and mm -hmm. I'm going to be hanged anyway. Mm -hmm. So at least this way I'm going out on my terms. Fuck you, fuck mm -hmm. you and fuck you to wow. all the witch hunters. Now that happened in September mm -hmm. and because it was so unsavory to pretty much everybody and it happened so publicly – the perception of the witch trials really started mm -hmm. to shift and a lot of folks started questioning whether this really was what their God wanted mm -hmm. and questioning whether torturing and killing people really <laughs> was likely to get them into heaven Well, I've now just all. thought about this actually. Mm -hmm. um, so he died from the boulders? He died, yes, yeah. after three days. Three days yep. and then And didn't and enter a plea. Okay. Mm -hmm. King. And people felt really gross about it. This old and man getting crushed by bowlers in the town square. Not ideal. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Bad taste in people's mouths. But accusations were still being made, including against the wife of that newly appointed governor of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And that was the point at which Mr. Governor Man decided things had simply gone too far. If they'd reached this point, it was one thing to be executing outcasts but now the wife of the man in power was threatened and he felt it was time for everyone to just take a bit of a step back. And so he dissolved that court of hearing and deciding at the end of October and spent a few weeks thinking about what he was going to do about the 50-something accused witches that were still sitting in jail cells waiting for their trial. And he decided they'd set up a, a new court, they'd call it the Superior Court, They'd still use those same unqualified men as magistrates, though. The only real difference with this court was that no spectral evidence would be accepted okay. in any of the trials this time around. Also, just a little PS, at this time he decided it was finally time to let Dorothy Good, the four-year-old daughter of Sarah Good, who'd been in jail since March... He said we should probably think about letting her go yeah. on bond. On bond. <laughs> on bond. On bond. On bond. Uh-huh. Oh, the poor little thing. Mm -hmm. She never ended up facing trial and she ended up being pardoned. But um, Was she the <laughs> only pardon? On bond. No, more people okay. did end up okay. being. Yeah, they got reprieve and then pardoned. God. Mm. And were there, was this just a Salem thing? Or was this all of Massachusetts? Right now this is... Okay, it's Salem and a couple of villages surrounding that right. most of the action is right. happening in okay. Salem Village. Yeah. Even without the spectral evidence being allowed in court, a few people were still found guilty by that superior court. Eight people were scheduled for execution in February of 1693. But then the governor was like, you know what, let's just not... Let's just release all of them because he'd reached a point where he was like, this is really, really embarrassing because yeah. a lot of other colonies around the area are finding out about what's been going on oh. and they're coming to see that you've kind of become out of control. So yeah. I'm just going to like suggest you all simmer down yeah. and let's release everyone from jail once they've paid their jail fees. Now, this is a little bit of a sidebar and it is a kicker. So back then, anyone who was arrested and put in jail was charged daily for their food and their board. 
And even if they were pardoned, they couldn't leave jail until they'd paid their bill in full. What? So you could be accused of a crime you didn't commit. You could go to trial. You could be found not guilty. But then you still weren't allowed to leave the jail until you'd paid off your tab. And that was the reason why one of those five people died in jail because even though she was found not guilty, she couldn't pay her bill and go home. And that's how Tichaba ended up leaving Salem Village. She had been in jail for 13 months by the time it was decided she was allowed to be set free. And she was a slave. She didn't own anything. She couldn't Mm. pay that bill. And Hemorrhoid Paris was... (laughs) so furious that he had to pay that huge bill that he decided he was going to sell Tichaba to a new owner in a different town to cover that cost. But he kept Tichaba's 10-year-old daughter (gasps) as his own property. See what I mean? Oh, he's such a hemorrhoid. Infected hemorrhoid. infected, yeah. Needs surgery. It isn't just going to be sold by some cream. It needs a full-on surgery. Jesus. The final trials happened in May of 1693. The whole debacle had gone on for 15 months. In that time, 20 innocent people, as we said, executed. 16 of them were women. Five people died in jail, including that little newborn baby, Mercy. 207 people had been accused. 74 people said they'd been afflicted. And there were 32 people who took the stand and officially accused someone else in the town. And then just like that, they had to go back to normal life, living and working alongside each other. There were even some examples where accusers and their accused were living in the same house and they just had to try to find a way to make it work. And some of these people had been really extreme. Like, for example, Elizabeth Hubbard, who I think I mentioned earlier on, she was 17 at the time. She made 40 different complaints and was responsible for 17 people being arrested. 13 of those people were executed and two of them died in jail. So she was responsible directly for 15 deaths. She never apologised and was never held accountable. It was like the town just tried to sort of move on from everything. They'd kept scrupulous records of all of this, but then for the next few years, it's like they just kind of wanted to pretend like it didn't even happen. And it took a while for historians to go back and sort of unpack Mm. what had gone on in Salem. One of the accusers did publicly apologise, but that was years later. Mm. Um, And then in 1697, the Massachusetts community decided maybe they should just at least acknowledge their mistakes. Um, So they set a day of fasting and prayer as a way of atoning for their little (laughs) error in judgment. They did at that time say, we do believe the devil was here. We just think maybe we overreacted a little bit. Oh, so it wasn't a But we were doing it with the best of intentions. Yeah. So we were killing people. Yeah, ignoring the impact, just talking about the intentions. Yeah. Yeah. There is one little sidebar that they go down where the pastor prior to Reverend Hemorrhoid, he ended up being brought all the way from Maine to come back to Salem and he was charged with being like the head warlock of the coven. So he was like the patient zero who'd indoctrinated all of the other witches and people came forward with these stories of seeing them all flying around in the sky or riding sticks at night. Because women can't organise themselves. Oh, yeah, it had to be (laughs) a man. man. There had to be a bloke pulling the strings. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Now, I'm not 
kidding about this. It took them until this month, June of 2022, to finally pardon the last of the women who'd been found guilty of witchcraft. So the people who'd been found guilty officially sat on the legal record as witches until someone came forward to advocate on their behalf. And if you happen to be someone that didn't have any friends or family who were going to step up, come forward and say... You need to give this person a proper pardon. It just didn't happen. So this ended up being instigated by a bunch of school kids in the US. Oh, really? Over the last few months, yeah. They approached whatever court they needed to go to to get this woman's name finally cleared. It took 330 years to clear everybody's name. Wow. And over the centuries, some reparations have been paid to some of the families of the descendants of the people who were wrongly accused. And they do have a bunch of different monuments of regret that have been put up all around Mm. the Salem area. When we say Salem these days, the place that's called Salem is Salem Town. And the place that was Salem Village is called Danvers. Both of those places really milk their history to bring in tourists, um, especially around Halloween every year. So there's lots of witchy paraphernalia, lots of bars that are called the something coven or the something cauldron. So they're trying to walk this sort of fine line where we're like, yeah, we're really regretful about our past, but we're going to cash in on it. (laughs) Yeah. Because so many people, like, they think Salem – They think witches, mostly because of pop culture. It's kind of been sanitized in a lot of ways because of shows like Bewitched and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And even I think Days of Our Lives was set in Salem as well. Yeah. Weird supernatural stuff happened there. So people sort of have this sort of kitschy view of witchcraft in Mm. Salem. They don't really know about all this dark, dark, dark stuff. It started off with these two little girls having these fits and then just created this spiralling paranoia in that culture. Did the little girls ever, like, apologise to anyone? No, I think one of them apologised. Only one apologised, yeah. And did they ever, they they always just said, no, they were witches. They, yep. they stuck by their word the entire time. They, mm-hmm. But they feel like they could have done more to maybe rehabilitate the people the who'd been yeah, seduced by the devil rather than executing them. I wonder if by the end of it, by the end of those, how long was it, 14 months or something, mm-hmm. I wonder if they genuinely believed that they were witches, mm. that they were killing, that they were so delusional um, and gaslit themselves mm. into thinking nobody did the right thing because they couldn't face the fact that they'd killed you know, Mm -hmm. 20 people. Yeah. I mean, they accepted everything in the Bible as fact and -hmm. the Bible told them witches existed and they had to be destroyed. Also, because they were brought up to believe you're either a devil or you're a saint, anytime they had any sort of impure thoughts or anytime they caught themselves doing something that was a little bit sinful, like masturbating or Mm -hmm. lusting after someone, that would start them down this spiral of questioning, well, am I a devil because clearly I'm not a saint. Yes. And tiny little transgressions, you know, they can sort mm-hmm. of snowball and pile up and pile up and pile up. Mm-hmm. And so people got to the point where they were confessing to things they hadn't done. What? Like satanic rituals that they said they had participated in themselves that had completely come out of their own imagination as a result of their delusions. Self-delusion, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So they, people confess things that couldn't even exist. Yep. Wow. 
And a lot of that has been put down by psychiatrists and psychologists who've looked back at this case Mm -hmm. and they've sort of analysed all the different things that have caused a build-up of trauma and stress Mm -hmm. in the entire community. So things that were external like the attacks from the American tribes, there was a war going on nearby between the English and the French armies, Mm -hmm. they were hungry and cold and it was dark most of the time and they had no joy or celebration in their lives because they didn't have like dancing festivals or anything. And then particularly for young women, they were expected to be seen but not heard and Mm -hmm. they weren't valuable until they were of marrying age. And they were brought up to believe that they were competing to find a good husband as well. So, Oh, that as well, of course. Uh, yes, and competing to get into heaven and competing mm-hmm. as well. So if you say someone else is bad, you're one up on the yep. on the roster. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of people think that it's most likely to be these sorts of cultural mm. things that have led to this sort of mass hysteria through the entire community. And the girls were just sort of the little spark that then set the tinder aflame. There are other people, though, who believe that this could have all been um, at least exacerbated, if not driven by, um, ergot poisoning. I don't know if I imagined this. Okay. Mm. So... Is that, is that a fungus or something? Yes. In the water or something like that? In the grain. In the grain, yes. yes. So all the food they were eating, which was mostly rye, which is what this ergot fungus mm. grows on, could have been contaminated. And that essentially is like taking LSD. R- yes. Yeah. So it's, they could have seen the bird on someone's hands. They could have been In having these bra- hallucinations yeah, yeah. and they could have been having these sort of weird physical convulsions mm. as well. That's been debunked by Mm. most experts, particularly because they were like, look, that would have been a household by household Mm. thing because they stored their own rye under each roof. And so you wouldn't just get Abigail and Betty getting affected without Reverend Hemroyd and his wife and the other two kids and Tichaba all getting Affected. affected as well. Okay. So, you know, there are still some people who hang on to that. Though, and I think there's probably a little bit of validity to it at the very least. Some people. Yeah. And look, there are other people who believe there really was witchcraft going on. I mean, pass on that one. (laughs) And there were other witches around America. I know before you said that everyone was kind of looking on like, what's going on? Mm. But there were other, Other in Kentucky, did you say? What did you say? Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. Connecticut, upstate New York. Some happened in Maine. I think some happened in Quebec as well. So Mm. they'd just sort of pop up every now and then. Mm. Salem became the most famous because it was the best recorded. Oh. And there were so many unique circumstances as well, like the special court that was set up and the fact Mm. that they allowed the spectral evidence into court as well. Yeah, so that's why Salem has sort of risen as the most famous in America. Wow. I want to watch The Crucible now. I rewatched it the other night and, look, some people blast it and say it's not it's not true to history enough, but you can see the artistic choices mm-hmm. that he's made in there. Like Abigail in real life was 11 and the man that she was meant to be having the affair with, uh, he was in his 60s, I think, John Proctor. Yeah. Whereas in the movie they're played by Winona Ryder and Daniel Day-Lewis and they're, she's aged up and he's aged down. Wait, John Proctor sense. was sleeping with an 11-year-old? Mm-mm. Abigail in real life was 11. In the movie I think she's like 16, 17. But in real life... Was she having an they affair? They didn't have no. an affair. Oh my God. Sorry. I was Should like, have started with that. I was like, so hang that on. affair hang was on. totally fictionalised. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, that wasn't a real historic. Right, okay. And a lot of the characters had sort of been amalgamated. So the true historians are disappointed by it. But in terms of a work of fiction that, like you said, was an allegory for communism. Yeah. you got to respect it. And the McCarthy era, doll. I'm going to watch it tonight. Love it. (laughs) It's on Disney Plus. Is it? It is. Um, Look, I'll wrap it up there. That was just the gist of the Salem Witch Trials. Thank you so much for coming on board for that. Hope you enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. It was so much fun. My VR experience, immersive experience in Just the Gist is amazing. So meta. Someone who used to be a topic on Just the Gist is now a guest host on Just the Gist. It's amazing. Thank you so much for all your research, Dal. Thank you. Appreciate it. I will put some um, links in the show notes so that you can go ahead and do a bit more um, of a deep dive if you'd like to. There's a really good podcast series that the BBC did called um, History Extra where they went all the way through, I think it's nine different episodes, um, about what happened start to finish uh, with the witch trials. Also, the book I found most helpful was called The Salem Witch Trials, A Day-by-Day Chronicle of a Community Under Siege by an author called Marilyn Roach. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I'll put a couple of really great articles, including one from Vox that goes and visits Salem and sort of comments on the, huh, they've turned something really dark into something kitschy to sell souvenirs and tarot card readings. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, But, yeah, super, super interesting topic. What have you got coming up apart from The Masked Singer and your TV program? (laughs) Well, the radio show, you know, we've got the radio mm. show as well, Hot Nights Lovey. I mean, I I think I'm having a bit of a pause, babe. Not a pause. I've only got the radio show, mm. the podcast and the TV show <laughs> and the two all. TV shows at the moment. So I'm just kind of... And you're adopting slow. a dog. Oh, yes. Mm. Um, hopefully that will all work out. But, yes, um, we found another dog that needs to be adopted. So fingers crossed that works out and we get him. So people are going to see photos and videos of him soon. Hopefully More dog chat. We've already given him personality, Comrade and I. We've already like, decided he's a bit different from Marco. Oh, okay. You'll see yeah. his Instagram. Star yeah. sign? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I need to ask when his birthday is actually so I can figure it out. You'll know by his energy. So true. I'll know. <laughs> Us previous witches have yeah. held on to that knowledge of the impacts of the planet on the our coven inner dog. goings. Um, yeah, thanks for joining the coven. Thanks for having me. Great to have me. you. Mwah. All the research, I actually, I can't believe it. The books, the documentaries, it on. I was saying this to my friend earlier because mm. I rang her just before I came in here because I was like, I haven't spoken out loud for days. I need to talk to someone before I go in there and start to record. Like, I've got to make sure that I still have the power of speech and that my <laughs> lips and tongue still work. Because I do, I from Sunday through till I came up here, yeah. it's, I've just been staring at a computer screen, like mm, going through everything and <sighs> listening to audiobooks. It is fascinating. It is. Listener.